welcome to the 17th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we talk about murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. This week's murder features a couple of losers on the prowl and a family man who was randomly chosen as a victim because of an act of road rage in Idaho. Thank you for listening to last week's episode in Burlington, North Carolina, where Circles K store clerk is murdered by a jerk in a senseless act of overkill and the murder is caught by a $2 bill. Fair warning, this can be extremely horrifying and graphic and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for murder. Also, be forewarned, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during our podcast. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, and please give us a five-star rating. While you're there, leave a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. Hey, and if you like our show, please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash pod. We appreciate our Patreon supporters more than we can express with words. Thank you so much. Hey, Cindy, how's it going? It's going really well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. How's your uh, bleacher ass? Yeah, it's still the same. That's yeah. my life right now. Listen, I know. I've been there, done that. And that's one thing that I've, I just, like, you sit around on the bleacher so much when your kid's in wrestling that, you know, you might get to see them wrestle, wrestle maybe one time during the day, <laughs> maybe twice. And then, you know, you're sitting around all day. Right. Well, this last time I got to, I watched him wrestle. It was two days and he wrestled nine times. And that was including the, like, championship, like, bout or not he wasn't in the he wasn't like up for one and two but he was up for fifth and um actually he he won fifth place I'm proud of him you know anyway um I had something really witty to say right there but I forgot you forgot so did you have to drive far for this wrestling uh this wrestling tournament um this past time a a couple weeks ago I drove about an hour away this time I drove you know like five miles up the road but I know what I was going to say. I wasn't really all that witty. I just wanted to say that even though I have bleacher ass and it hurts after two days of it, even if my kid wrestled once, I want him to take away from the fact that my mom was there, my dad was there, and that's what he remembers. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's great. Because there are yeah. lots of parents who weren't there. All right. So um, so you drove to go to this tournament. Did you get stuck by behind somebody that maybe uh, pissed you off, got on your nerves a little bit? Um, actually, I did. Several people because I wanted them to get the hell out of the way. You don't have to come to a complete stop when you're turning. And did you like give any kind of um, rude gestures like, you know, maybe the middle finger or shout out like get the fuck off the road or anything like that? Um, I honked my horn and then my husband honked my horn. <laughs> so you're driving and he's honking the horn for you yes i always have to drive well that's where we're going with this week's murder because this week's murder takes place in idaho and it has to do a little with a little bit of road rage so keep that in mind fellow listeners next time you're driving down the road and somebody pisses you off so this story like i said takes place in uh, Idaho and we're going to start with a guy named William Kirk and he goes by the name Bo. 
Um, Bo Kirk is an x-ray tech at Northwest Specialty Hospital in Post Falls, Idaho. And he was a loving family man. Like, there's no one, and a great friend, there is no one that said a bad word about this guy. He called his wife every day. Um, he, you know, he, he was very close with his children. And he, he had a very short commute from the hospital to his home. So he worked in one little town, and then he lived in another. So he would call his wife every night before he got off work and say, look, you need me to pick up anything whatever and she would you know so she would know when to expect him it was about a 15 to 20 minute commute that this particular day october 22nd 2016 they chit-chatted for a while they actually talked about ice cream you know he texted his daughter about going to a haunted house uh just a very loving family man he was expecting his first grandchild his son was 21 at the time and he was expecting a baby so Man. life was really good for Bo Kirk, you know. He he was a he was just an all around good guy. But he didn't come home in the fifteen or twenty minutes after he called his wife. He went missing, and um, he was expected home at, at, by seven twenty, and he never showed up. Well, at nine twenty one, his wife, distressed and crying, calls nine one one. She's begging for help, and well, they at, probably weren't ready to. I was sorry to interrupt, but so after about 20 minutes, she calls 911 and they're probably trying to calm her down. No, she doesn't call 911 until nine, almost two hours later. So he's supposed to be home at 720. She ends up calling at 921. She's frantic. This is not her husband. Yes. Her husband doesn't say, well, let me just say her husband is not a lot like my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not mine. So, either. you know, when my when when her husband said, I'll be home in 20 minutes, he would show up in 20 minutes. Oh, gotcha. So two hours later, he's still not home. She is freaking out. And I'll tell you, and I'll, I'm going to explain why in just a minute. But, you know, she she called 911. She's frantic and crying. She says, um, my husband, Bo, didn't come home from work. She said that oh, he had called her over two hours previously to tell her he was on her way home, his way home which only takes 15 to 20 minutes. And he's very reliable, so he doesn't lie to her. So the call, she says, hi, my husband is, he didn't get home from work today. He works at Northwest Specialty Hospital. Over two hours ago, he was supposed to be home, but I just looked at our account and there are withdrawals on our checking account that he would never do. I'm frantic, I don't know what to do. So she just, she got some sort of alert. She checked her accounts and there were $900 worth of withdrawals out of their checking account and she said he would never do anything like that wow so she probably like you said she probably started receiving alerts that money with was, was withdrawn or i know when anything like clears not so much i don't know about atms but i know when i pay a bill or whatever i get a alert on my phone saying such and such amount has been withdrawn from your account and i do that i set mine up so that anytime because i my account had been hacked when, mm. uh, not too long ago actually and so I set mine up that anytime an account over $50, anytime like a transaction over $50 goes through, I get a text alert. This is possible. Didn't say. It's really she just, smart. She just knew $900 is missing from her account and her husband is not home. She's freaking out. I imagine so. I would be too. Yeah. Uh, so the cash withdrawals, there were two at um, his normal bank. They were at 8.34 p.m. So an hour after he was supposed to be home. There are two cash um, cash withdrawals from one ATM. 
And then about 15 minutes later, there's another cash withdrawal at a bank just down the road. Now, later on, this is a clue because you know the ATMs have cameras in them. Yes. So 20 minutes after her call to 911, someone calls 911 and reports a truck burning on, uh, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's 23,000, the 23,000 block of North Rimrock Road in, in Idaho, which means absolutely nothing to me <laughs> since I've never been there. But uh, it's kind of important later on. The truck is is ablaze. It is burning up. Oh, no. So when police and the Timberlake Fire and Rescue finally get the burning truck um, under control, they finally put the fire out, they did not find Bo in it. He was not in it. But they did identify it as his truck. His 2015 GMC belonged to him. And they realized, whoa, his wife just called 911 and reported him missing not even 20 minutes ago. He was not in the vehicle, as I said. Oh, wow. Now, police don't really have anything to go on because I guess the road between where he works and where um, where he lives, you know, there's, there's not much traffic or whatever going down there. I really don't know if that's the truth or not, but... I don't think a lot of people drive down it based on what what might have what what conspired later okay but they do have the video footage from the atms they have the video footage and they notice that there's a suspect at at the time and both banks that show the driver wearing a black ski mask a bulky flannel sweater black rubber gloves that were covered in wool fingerless gloves his face was covered with a black handkerchief and there was another person also in the car, but they could not make that person's feature. They could not identify that, that person. They also, um, later on, at another, at a gas station, they caught the truck and they caught a picture of a man filling a five-gallon gas can. And they soon learned that that was the gas that was used to douse Kirk's 2015 GMC pickup truck. Oh, no, that's freaking awful. So, um, yeah, it is. And three days later, they finally found his body. It was eight miles from where the burning truck was found. Wow. So how did they, I'm wondering how, how his body got there. Oh, okay. So, so this is, I'm just going to share the timeline. Um, uh, it's in Kootenai. I think I'm saying that right. Kootenai County Sheriff's Office says a body was found near the Hayden Creek, which is, um, in the Cora Deline National Forest. It was unclear at that time if the body was Kirk. So they didn't identify him as a Kirk, though they, they believed it was. They also, on that same day, released the surveillance video showing the man with the mask over his face at the ATM using Kirk's card. Um, but they don't know who he is. Okay. The next day, Wednesday, October 26th, at 1 p.m., they confirmed that the body found near Hayden Creek is Bo Kirk. So the poor man um, was dead. Investigation changes from a missing persons case to a homicide investigation, and they release a second surveillance video that reveals two suspects. One person was driving Kirk's truck, and then somebody there was another truck following Kirk's truck, or vice versa, but there were two trucks there. Okay. At 3 p.m. on Wednesday, October 26th, a family friend of Kirk's, Brian Johnston, told tells um, News Channel 2 that he was the one who found Kirk's body. He said he was following the advice of a psychic 
who said that Kirk was in a ravine near water. I'm sorry, what? A, a psychic? Yeah, so his friend went to a psychic, according to this news. Uh, you know, I don't know how much credence to get to that because this KREM2 news seemed a little bit sensational, but maybe the guy did go to a psychic. I don't know. Whatever the case, the body was found near water. Wow. I don't, I mean, I know that I see that on like TV shows all the time where they say they consulted a psychic, you know, and they make fun of it. So I don't know. Do police right. departments really do that? Um, it wasn't the police department. It was a very good oh, family friend. Right, right, right. You did say that. It was a family friend. But I mean, but then did the police say, do they have to take that into account as legitimate? I don't think they have to take it. Doing, I mean, I, I don't imagine that too many police would. I know that I, I can't have imagine. like seen, I have seen, you know, documentaries and stuff where cops are like, I would even take advice from a psychic at that point. So I don't know. Anyway, after the body was found, Kirk's family members, Bo Kirk's family members, were they were grieving and they were angry. Some of the things that they put out on social media, like one of his sisters, um, Cynthia Bogner, said, posted on Facebook that there's a special place in hell waiting for you, you monster. So she's referring to whoever did this. Remember, they don't know who it was. They just saw whoever it was in a ski mask. She says, you will get what you deserve. How dare you take my brother's life? Do you care that you have deprived his children of their father, his wife, out of her rock and soulmate? She continued, please, if you have any clue who this murderer could be, please do not hesitate to report it to the authorities. Um, his cousin thanked people for their support of the family. There's a bunch of people, like, they came together and they had, you know, um, they raised money, like a fundraiser, I guess. I mean, spaghetti dinner or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, mm -hmm. but it was a get together. Um, she said that my sweet cousin, Bo Kirk, was such a great guy, loved by all. Words cannot express how heartbroken we all are. Love you so much, Bo, and I will miss your happy smile. In a later post, she wrote, Bo was taken away too young at 41 and leaves behind his lovely wife, sister, and two kids, and an older son is expecting a baby girl. She will not have gotten to meet him, but she will always have him as her guardian angel. Now, a police officer, Wolfinger, said that Kirk's disappearance and death affected the entire community, and he knew Kirk personally. And he said, we're going to find who is responsible, and that's our promise to you. Now, just as a side note, he and his wife had been together for 23 years. Mm. So he was 41, according to this. Um, so what What were they together when wow. he was 18? 23 years. Wow. Is, that's a long time. That's a, that is a very long time. His other sister also expressed her emotions on Facebook. She said, where do I even begin? The thought of moving forward without you buckles me to my knees. You're my little brother, and I should have been there to protect you from the evils of this world, just like when we were kids. As I lay here, so many memories flood over me, and I can't help but smile through all the tears. That's what you did for everyone who ever met you. You made them laugh and smile always. You are no longer here, and I'm going to have to learn to move forward again. You will always be here with me in my heart. I love you so very much, and you will always be with me. Now, you know, I can understand people, like, going on Facebook, but I just always wonder why people, like, write these, um, write these posts to someone who's dead. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just a way of healing for them. I mean, obviously, they're not going to their dead loved ones aren't going to see this. I mean, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. 
Like people say, oh, to my mom in heaven, happy Mother's Day. Well, your mom in heaven isn't going to see this. I think maybe it's just, I mean, part of it is they want people to know that they're thinking. Yeah. I mean, they're, I'm not trying to say that they're like trying to get attention, but they want people to know today is my mom's anniversary of her death or her birthday. I mean, I, you know, I don't really say to granddaddy, I love you. It's your, this is your 12th heavenly birthday, but. I mean, I have said things about it being my grandfather's yes. birthday, but not like necessarily. I might say, you know, today is today would be my mom's sixty third birthday or whatever. But I don't like say, "Mom, I miss you." And I don't know. I guess it's just I, it's just me. I don't. I, I just always I was always wondering that. You know, just kind of. Well, anyway, the media, especially this KREM two news, was in a frenzy. You know, this is a, a good family man. And, and of course, you know, he, he doesn't go home. He doesn't show up at home. So it is kind of scared, scary. But they speak with a private investigator who is not at all connected to the case. They just, like, call. It reminds me a little bit about Nancy Grace, you know. Like, she just calls up these random people. <laughs> right. Um, they call a guy who is a private investigator who's not at all connected to the case. And they say, you know, could you look at the surveillance video and tell us what you can about what's going on? And I guess that he said that it appeared that these Idaho murder suspects had done something like this before. Really? This is just his professional opinion based on video. He's not done any investigation whatsoever. Okay. Now, Thursday, October 27th, 2016, authorities asked the public for additional help in finding the suspects. They also asked um, for any extra surveillance video from the public or local businesses and just recently, you know, in our own neighbor, my own neighborhood, there was a murder and the police did ask one of my friends who owns a business on the street, asked him for video. Can, can we have yes. your surveillance footage? And he turned it over. Good. He, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy still wanted. But so the police are searching for evidence or searching for um, surveillance, surveillance video. Now, on Friday, October 28th. They finally announced that they have arrested two men in connection to the murder of Bo Kirk. Okay. So, I'm not really sure. I, I, what they did was that they finally were able to identify the truck that was following Bo Kirk's truck. And they traced it. And I don't know which murder it is because when I went back to find out who, there were two guys involved. Okay. And one of them owned the truck. Well, I can't remember his name right now because I'm not on that slide. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so on Saturday, October 29th, 2016, they arrest David Hutto, 44. He's booked into the Kootenai County Jail for second-degree murder. Kootenai. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that right. Kootenai, Kootenai. It looks like Kootenai. I hear country. What do I hear? What? Cotton Eye Joe. That's what I hear uh, in my head. Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah, listen, my husband loves that song. Okay. Shh. Shh. We don't okay. give up. All right. So um, they book him into the Kootenai County Jail for second-degree murder charges and then they confirmed that Hato's arrest is connected to the investigation. They did not release details, um, arrest details, or the name of the second person because that person was being held in federal custody. Oh. On, Saturday, on Sunday, October 31st, on Halloween, Hato made his first appearance in court. Prosecutors argue that Hato followed Kirk and kidnapped him after a road rage incident. Oh, here we go. So, uh, you know, I went to college and um, I went to college in St. Louis. And one time this dude cut me off and I like honked my horn at him. And he literally p 
pointed a gun at me. <gasps> like a real gun? Like a well, to me it looked like a real gun. Holy and shit. And I scared the shit out of me. So, you know what? I try not to be too um I try not to be too emotional regarding when someone cuts me off or whatever. I don't usually haunt my horn or draw attention to myself. I might cuss them out in my car where they can't hear me. Right. But I don't, since that happened, it was so scary. And I just keep, you know, every time that incident just like comes in my mind when somebody pisses me off on the road. Yeah, that would freak me out. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, seriously, I would, my, actually my father-in-law, we got my father-in-law a gun for Christmas. And that's why, because somebody like tried to run him off the road. And then I guess when he stopped, he, pu- oh, he went into, he pulled over into like a parking lot, a gas station and the guy followed him. And I think he pulled, was like waving a gun or something. It was bad enough that it made my father-in-law want a gun. So that's what my husband got him for Christmas. Okay. So <laughs> you can buy someone a gun for Christmas. You don't have to like have that person go through. Um, no, we actually paid for it and he went down and got it. And so he had to do the background check and all of that. So we just paid for it. Okay. I don't, well, I'm not going to tell people I don't own again, but I'm okay with second amendment rights, but I don't, I don't like guns personally, but no, no. Anyway, back to what we're talking about. Now they have identified the body. Uh, they found Bo Kirk. They have arrested the two men that they know are involved. And um, the son is like, you know, my dad was a good man. This is probably just an understatement. But he was liked by everyone and he was able to brighten up a room. His wife, Amanda, she didn't really, uh, she wasn't in the limelight. Like a lot of people are like, oh, she, she's not she's not posted anything on social media about her husband and you know does she really love him and all that but what i'm sorry what because she wasn't posting on social media they thought that she maybe it's none of your none of your business right and you know me i'm not a big social media person uh and i don't like airing my own business and i think it you know i'm also i also like to grieve privately so i can kind of understand where she's coming from so a lot of her family and friends were speaking out for her. Now, police quickly identified uh, Justin Roy Booth. He was the the guy that had the truck. He's the one that owned the, the, the truck. According to the case's lead detective, Sergeant Ken Lalatin, Lalatin with the Kootenai <laughs> County Sheriff's Office, <laughs> Hato and Booth, what happened is they were driving. This is according to the testimony of the guys. Um, they were driving and Kirk flashed his brights at them and it pissed them off. So they pulled over to the side of the road and let um, let Kirk pass and then they followed him home. That's ridiculous. Right? They followed him home and then when he pulled into his driveway... The two men, one of the men got out of the truck and forced Kirk back into Kirk's own truck at gunpoint. So one man was driving Booth's truck and then the other was Kirk's. And I'm not sure if Kirk was actually driving, like he forced Kirk to get in the truck or if the other guy was driving. But so now there um, there are two trucks and Kirk was kind of kidnapped out of his own driveway. Wow. So they drove for several miles um, up near Hayden Creek in the Coeur d'Alene National Forest where they finally pulled to the side of the road. Now, testimony from Hutto and Booth are contradictory. Like, um, 
one saying, oh, it wasn't me. It was the other guy. And the other guy saying, oh, well, no, it wasn't me. Right? Just like our last episode. Right. Yeah. So detectives, what detectives do know is, I don't know which one of you it was, but it doesn't matter. Because they know that one of them led Kirk out of the truck, shot him in the back, and then continued to shoot him eight times while he was on the ground. They left his body on the side of the road by a ravine. Oh, man. That's no way to treat it. That's just, there's no. They then took the truck. One of them drove the, the, the truck. You know, this is kind of where it's iffy, but they were in his truck, and, you know, did they get his pin from for the ATM? Did they get that before they shot him? Right. They had to. They had to. You know, tell me your pin number, or I'm going to shoot you. So they had the pin number. So uh, maybe they took him because they could have, they just, I mean, if I was, okay, let's say, if I was going to want somebody's pin number, I'm not going to shoot them dead before I go and determine if that money really can be withdrawn or not. Because if I shoot them and then it's, I don't have their right. pin number and they gave me one, two, three, four, and that's not one, two, three, four, then I, I can't ask them. So it's unclear to me and I, I could not find like direct evidence or anything saying, I don't know if Kirk was in the truck when they were at the ATMs, there was pictures there were pictures of someone else in the truck but it was unclear if it was kirk or one of the kidnappers whatever the case is they knew his pin number because they withdrew about nine hundred dollars they would be sorely disappointed if they (laughs) (laughs) i'm like you can have my pin number but you're not gonna (laughs) you know sometimes like sometimes that thing comes across on facebook or whatever that if you put your pin number in backwards it's but yeah. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Is that just a hoax? Yes, because I um I saw some little fact fact checker maybe a fact checker <laughs> fact checker, and it might have actually been our local sheriff's department who put a thing out because they do address certain like Facebook things that go around. They'll address them and say whether they're true or not, and and I really do think that they did, uh, and came out saying that that was false it was a myth it doesn't really work okay so uh, another news source is that that's that kirk wasn't with them they returned to cordeline and then used kirk's stolen card to withdraw about nine hundred dollars um and the two were caught on multiple security camera videos driving the two vehicles and withdrawing money so they were kind of you know they were dumbasses honestly when they were arrested, they were originally, Hato was originally charged with second degree murder, but the charges were later amended to first degree murder, or I'm sorry, first degree robbery, first degree robbery, first degree kidnapping, and first degree murder. Pretty serious fucking charges, man. Absolutely. These are some bad dudes, for real. And they were just out roaming the streets. Well, and we're going to talk about what they were out doing, because... Um, the Kootenai County Sheriff announced, um, when they announced, when they announced, you know, when they announced the arrest, it's this big, uh, what do they call those things? Press release or like press, press conference. Prep- Good Lord. A press conference. Yes. That. You know, they, they said that they worked countless hours with multiple agencies to capture the two men. They didn't specify how they located the two men or release their identities, but I did read that they identified the truck, um, the, of the, the drive, not of course, not Bo Kirk's truck, but the other truck, and they figured out that way. Okay. 
Hato was accused of kidnapping Kirk about 7.30 p.m. on Saturday, October 22nd, after the incident that happened while he was on his way home. Apparently, Kirk flashed bright lights while driving behind Hato and Booth, which enraged them. The pair apparently followed Kirk, as I said, to Coeur d'Alene and kidnapped him when he, returned, when he turned into his driveway. So, why did that enrage them so much? Were they, were they looking to pick on someone? So, were they doing it on purpose and they were just waiting for the next person they deemed asshole to flash their lights at them? And then they were pouncing on someone? As a matter of fact, Cindy, yes. They were out looking for someone to rob they were at that point. Prowling. So, they, you know, they just happened to randomly pick this guy who flashed their brights at him. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Hato because um, he's one of the, the guys that kidnapped Bo Kirk. And he was born in, let's see, I think he was born in North Carolina, which uh, it was in North or South Carolina. His brother, Sam, was, was contacted and Sam told the media that he wasn't surprised that his brother was in trouble because he's always in trouble, but he was terribly shocked by charges in this case he said that his brother's been in and out of trouble but he's never really like done any kind of like violence on another person so he was very shocked with these charges he said you know i thought he was doing really good and then this comes up it's kind of a slap in the face because like i've done a lot of things for him over the years and he says it's all been in vain like you know he'd give his brother money over the years try to get him on track he would buy his brother bus tickets to get from one place to another. As a matter of fact, he said that he bought his brother a ticket to Texas, and he thought that's where his brother was. He knew that when his brother was in Texas, he had been um, he had been hospitalized, maybe, for mental illnesses. Oh. But he says that after Texas, his brother ended up moving to North Idaho, and his brother had no idea. Like, he's like, I didn't even know he moved to Idaho until I got a phone call one night. So he's pretty much had a chip on his shoulder all through growing up and adulthood. That The brother said, he says that they grew up in South Carolina. He says that he heard his brother had moved to North Idaho for about eight months, had lived there about eight months, and started a small engine repair business with his roommate, who happens to be the other fella in this story oh. booth so they're roommates now small engine repair you think that's a big business i mean that's like uh go-karts and lawnmowers and stuff right, right. mopeds that's, that's what i would think i'm not sure there's a big business for that mm-hmm. all right well the brother said that they didn't speak on the phone often but they did speak the friday before hato was arrested Sam says he was supposed to call his brother back after taking another. They were talking, um, and Sam got a phone call. He's like, dude, I have to call you back, and he never called his brother back. He did get an, um, a voicemail late that night from David Hato, and his brother asked him to call him back immediately no matter what time, but when Sam tried calling his brother back, no answer. Okay. He said later he learned that it was because his brother had been arrested for second-degree murder, so I'm not sure if... David Hutto called his brother, you know, for another bus ticket. Dude, I need to get out of Idaho. I'm not sure what happened there. The brother said, in no way do I expect any leniency if he did this. I want justice to be served just like the victim's family does. It hurts that I may never see my brother again. But if he did what he's being charged with, and basically I don't have a brother. Wow. Um, he also said that he didn't know how his brother met his roommate. Like, he's like, I don't know how he met this other dude, this Justin Booth. 
I mean, uh, that's pretty harsh, but I mean, like we said in, you know, before. In our last episode, we talked about this, didn't we? Yeah. Yes, we talked about siblings not making, not, you know, being murderers. Right. God, it seems like that's been a, that's been coming up a lot lately, right? Uh, well, Hato ended up pleading guilty to the crimes on February 1st. And at his sentencing, Kirk's family mostly used the opportunity to remember their father, the husband and brother that he was. They shared stories. Like one of the stories was how Bo got his name because his name is William. But when he was a kid, he was fascinated with Bobo the Clown. <laughs> Bobo the Clown. <laughs> and so he just said one day, hey, my name is Bobo from now on. And it's stuck. So even as he was growing up, he started going by Bo. And she said that most people didn't even know that his real name wasn't Bo or Bobo at all. They also used the platform to ask for the maximum possible sentence of three consecutive life terms. So I'm guessing maybe Idaho doesn't have the death penalty. But as part of a plea deal, the state agreed not to seek. Oh, no, here it is. Maybe it is. Because because he pled guilty, they agreed not to seek the death penalty. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hear I've, you hear that a lot. So, okay, I mean, so if I plead, they'll we'll tell them. We'll take the death penalty off the table yes. if you plead guilty, right? Yes. Now, Brian Kirk, this is the 21-year-old kid who was expecting a baby. He said, two men, these two men are honestly a waste of space on earth. The men should never be allowed to walk the streets and cause the same amount of pain to another family. By the end of the hearing, they got their wish because the first district judge, Scott Wayman, agreed with the state's assertion that Hato was likely to offend again because he had a long history of prior felony convictions. He also put a great deal of weight into the gravity of the crime. I mean, this is freaking murder. I mean, kidnapping, robbery, murder, arson. Um, what else? Well, road rage is a crime. I mean, road rage is a like a chargeable offense now. Yeah. Right? Um, so, I mean, it's like an escalation. Right. But they were already out looking for someone to, to do this to, to rob. Now, I don't know if they were going to kill anyone, but that's what it turned up. Uh, the judge said that it is that Mr. Hutto poses a significant risk to reoffend. He's a danger to society. And it says that while he denies actually pulling the trigger that caused the death of Mr. Kirk, he does admit that he was involved in all of the events that led up to the death. Now, after the judge pronounced Hutto, he got three life sentences without the possibility of parole. Amanda Kirk, that was Bo's wife, burst into tears. She said, I really hope justice will be served today. I hope this man never sees the light of day. Now, defense attorneys never argued that he wasn't guilty. Hutto was not guilty of the crime, but instead they questioned whether it was mostly the, um, the fault of the roommate, Justin Booth who they believe was a mastermind behind the plan to kidnap and kill Kirk. So they believe that the roommate was more at fault. Oh, okay. Well, of course they're going to blame somebody else. Well, yes. Now, the, the Hato's defense questioned why Booth was not charged with anything related to Kirk's death. They said that despite Hato saying Booth was heavily involved in Kirk's death during interviews with detectives, Booth was put in federal custody on a charge of unlawful possession of a firearm. So he was caught with the gun that was used in Kurt's murder. I don't understand why the federal government, why did the, why did he go into federal custody? To me, that sounds like that maybe, maybe he was a state's witness for something else. Or maybe there's bigger fish to fry. And so he was turning on that person and they put him in federal. Or was he his, 
because if they were arresting him with a felon with was, a firearm. Yes, he was already on parole for something else. But was that a federal crime? And that's why the state wouldn't pick up the other thing? Possibly. Maybe he knew more. He knew more information. So they were. So that was part of his deal. It could be. But I know that it, it's. I don't know. It's sketchy to me. I mean, it's awesome. But, all speculation. The, the defense attorney says, you know, he, Mr. Booth could be sitting right here next to Mr. Hutto, but the state chose not to do so. So the, cho- the state chose not to pursue charges. Now, I know that when we did the Adrian Robinson murder, I remember that Georgia chose not to, uh, like, follow through with some of the charges because the state of Virginia, their charges, their penalties were stronger. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if maybe the state is like, well, you know, he's going to get more if the federal if federal system picks it up. I don't know, but it's questionable. Very much so. Now, his attorney also raised doubt over Hato's mental health, stating he was previously diagnosed with bipolar disorder. He had experienced audio and visual hallucinations in the past, and he admitted to doctors that he has strong desire to harm others because like i said remember i said that in texas he uh well in texas he had actually had four stays in mental health facilities since 2005 the most recent he treatment that he received was at the tropical texas behavioral health clinic in edinburgh texas from 2009 to 2016 so that's seven years he was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and anxiety now, he was taking medication, but when he moved to North Idaho a year before the murder, he stopped taking it. According to tes- testimony, he said that he wasn't taking medication at the time of Kirk's killing. He told his doctors that he was moving to northern Idaho. However, his doctors, sadly, this is what the attorney said, sadly, his doctors made no effort to identify a provider in northern Idaho that could treat him, that could continue to keep him medicated. Now, whose job is that if he chooses to move? I mean, I get he'd never had like a serious violent crime. Yeah, I mean, he's an adult. He right? should that it, it's his responsibility. It's not the doctor's responsibility right. unless the doctor felt that somebody was in danger, but remember when we on the past ep- episodes when um the guy who was all over the campus at the college, the university killing different girls and he had been in Sunday slasher right yes Coral Watts and he they were unable the mental institution was unable to call the college because of because it would violate his rights his privacy yes Yes. I mean we have HIPAA laws now they can't just call and start reaching out and saying so-and-so is moving to your area he has major depressive disorder and anxiety so you need to medicate him they can't do that legally they can't do that right so well anyway that's his defense that he needed he, he had mental health conditions that and that's the doctor's fault David Hato um, Booth's roommate already took a plea deal on the case and as part of the deal Hato faces up to life in prison on the murder and kidnapping charges but he waived the right to appeal and how to pay restitution how the hell he's going to do that I don't know his 10 cents an hour from prison <sighs> at his sentencing a witness for the defense testified that he is that Booth is a white supremacist now this is the roommate Booth so now we're talking about Justin Roy Booth who um he's just an all-around bad guy 
He's uh, somebody testified that he's a white supremacist. They also testified that he was anti made anti-Semitic comments when Kirk drove up behind them the night of the murder. And Booth claimed that it was Hato who had pulled the trigger and to end Kirk's white life, but Hato maintained it was Booth. So you know, it's I didn't do it; he did. Now, in 2011, Justin Roy Booth had been convicted of robbery, two counts of grand theft, burglary, and felony eluding a police officer. He was sentenced to concurrent unified sentences of 12 years with three years determinate for robbery, seven years with three years determinate. I don't know what that means, determinate. Three years determinate. Um... For each of two counts of grand theft, seven years with three years determinate for burglary and three years determinate for felony eluding. Booth appeals contending that his sentences are excessive. So he is, uh, he, he believes that these charges are excessive. So this is where I found this information was in an appeal from 2011. So this is before um, they attack Kirk that night. Now, Booth is sentenced, the case is closed, but Claudia Jackson doesn't believe that justice has been served. She says that her brother, Bo Kirk, was murdered in 2016, and one of the men who had a hand in his death was sentenced Tuesday. She didn't believe that his punishment was enough. She said that Justin Booth and his accomplice both pled guilty in Kirk's murder, and a judge sentenced Booth to 30 years in prison, and he's eligible for parole. Jackson asked that Booth be sentenced to life without parole, and she was shocked because she said, in my opinion, he might not have pulled the trigger, but he's just as guilty as the other guy. Well, just like our previous case, the guy didn't do anything about stopping the murder or didn't call the police, didn't help the murder victim. So, But they were both involved. I mean, one guy's driving the truck, somebody's getting the gas, somebody's Mm -hmm. getting the money out of the ATM. It was two different guys doing those things. Yeah, I mean, he's just as guilty. Just because one person is the guy that shot, and who knows, maybe they took turns shooting him. Who knows? Now, Jackson, the sister, told uh, told another news media outlet that the defense asked the judge the defense asked the judge for 10 to 15 years in prison. She says, I am still shocked about that. But at least the judge gave him more than what the defense was asking for. So the defense, um, so, so after the sentencing, uh, you know, the family was very emotional. She said every time something came up, a hearing, a meeting, whatever, it was always brought right back up again. So the murderer was like just brought front and center every time. She said, you don't get to grieve the way somebody else in a different situation would be able to grieve. So it's not like, you know, he got sick and died. He was murdered. And now every time there's a hearing or something else is brought up, you know, you have to relive that. Right. They rip that scab right back off. Uh, Jackson said that while she was reading her impact statement, she told the judge that their own mother didn't even know about Bo's death. She said that their mom lives in Mexico and her health is, is a concern. So no one has told no one told the mom because they were worried about risking her mom's health if she told them what happened to Bo. Told her mom what happened to Bo. Do you know how pissed off I would be if I found out my kid was dead and no one bothered to fucking tell me? I don't care if I. Right. That's pretty shitty. Yeah, and I'm not sure the situation that was like. Yeah, I thought that was quite odd. Quite odd, and. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know why the mother was was in Mexico. Who knows? Anyway, Justin Booth was sent was sentenced to at least thirty years in prison. 
Um, so he has to serve 30 years before he's eligible for parole um, for his role in the death of Bo Kirk. And the sentence comes after he agreed to plead guilty to murder and robbery charges. Kirk's sister told KHQ, whatever that is, some news station, that she hoped that Booth would receive the same sentence as Hutto did. But he is now eligible for parole after 30 years. And she's like, I don't understand why he didn't get life without parole. Um, she said that he deserves the same sentence. So she's just, it, it's quite confusing why one guy could get one sentence and another guy could get the other sentence. Another thing that I learned is that Justin Booth is serving his time in Texas. So he's, I guess, at a federal prison in Texas, so not even in Idaho. Wow. Yeah, because federal prisons, they can send you all over the country. Right. Wow. I still am wondering why he's, it must be something to do with his parole. He must have had, it must have been a federal offense the first time and he so he violated his parole and i guess the federal government trumps the states so they said no we'll punish him you i don't there there's some deal there there's something shady that yeah, i'm not there is there is something shady it's like i don't quite understand it but you know i think the lesson here to me is just be careful who you who you respond to if they cut you off or they honk their horn at you because you never know if you have some fucking psycho that's mm-hmm. going to follow you home and kidnap you and take your PIN number, steal your money, and then shoot you in the back and leave you on the side of the road. It's true. And I've been followed home before, and it wasn't because I was, you know, flipping somebody off, honking my horn, flashing my lights. I was leaving work, and I was scared to death. I mean, because I had to – I worked at, like, a touristy place, and I had to drive, um, you know – we'll say 20 minutes in the middle of the night so it was kind of a far distance and I noticed this truck following me and it followed me down my road which there weren't any lights on my road and my idiot self pulled into my house and I was still living with my parents at the time my dad was out of town I jump out of my car and I run in the house really quick before the car rounded the corner to see like if I was in my yard or not and I ran in there and I'm like mom mom because it's before cell phones and my and I'm like someone followed me the next thing I know my 16 year old brother is you know, standing there with a shotgun and he's going outside and I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) But I mean, it was scary, you know? So you're supposed to drive to a police station or to like a Waffle House or someplace that's open all the time. It has people there. Well, I'll tell you what, it was right down the street from Loretta substation and she wasn't there and it was closed. (sighs) And Loretta (laughs) substation is from a previous episode. We talk about Adrian Robinson. So that's it for my murder today. I mean, to me, it was very scary because it's something that we deal with every day, you know? Like yes. Driving on the road and assholes. So, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, hope you enjoyed this week's murder. We so appreciate sharing our passion, passion with you. We really thank you for our support. But if you want to support us further, you can subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star rating. While you're there, please leave us a comment. You know, we, we appreciate, uh, you know, something that we can reflect on, how we can make our podcast better. But you can also share absolutely anything. Your subscription and ratings are very important to our success. Help push us up the charts. You can do this on your favorite platform. We also have links um, to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages on our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. 
Yes, and we are so grateful to spend our time together to share our murderous stories. Thank you again for listening and supporting us. We would like to thank our Patreon supporters. They are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review and rating. And thanks again, guys. And remember, it it wasn't wasn't me. me. And don't forget, it's patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Okay, love you. Bye.